Hallelujah. I'm glad he changed my name. No longer am I Jeremy the sinner, but I'm Jeremy the redeemed. I'm glad for a God who's in the business of changing our past, erasing our sins, setting on us, us on a new course. What a great introduction to, to what we're going to talk about tonight. Before we get started, let me, um, Elements, Youth, and our kiddos can be dismissed at this time. And while they're being dismissed, how many of you guys have been enjoying the, uh, the devotional that we've been doing on the Bible app? I've really enjoyed the, uh, the gentleman, I can't remember his name, but the gentleman who, who kind of narrates in the beginning. I've really enjoyed listening to him kind of go chapter by chapter. And so with that, we're going we're gonna to try to stay somewhat in line with where we are in reading. And tonight we're going to kind of talk about Abraham. Um, so let me start first. You, you can be seated. I'm going to start just by giving a little bit of a recap of what we talked about last week and kind of what you've been reading up to this point. So last week we talked about the garden. We talked about, um, about what God did in the garden and how that God's mercy and those themes that were displayed from the very beginning, God's love and redemption and all of that, was because that's who God is. That's part of his very character. And I love the, in that video that I showed, there's a phrase they repeat several times. And it says this, it says that the reason that God did all of these things was not because he had to or because he should, but because he made a gracious promise that he would. That through all of man's mistakes, even in the very beginning, God was continuously gracious and he did that because he said he would. Not because he was forced to or even that he should, but because he was gracious enough and made a promise. Then we get to chapter 11. So we kind of stopped in chapter 6 with the flood. We get to chapter 11, and, and at this point, everyone's off the boat, so to speak, and they're establishing um, and growing as, as people. And we get to the Tower of Babel. God told, Abraham, or God told Noah and his descendants that they are to go, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to spread out. But man, of course, has a different plan. And we get into the story of the Tower of Babel and, and the big mistake in, in Babel was really found in verse, verses 3 and 4 of that chapter where man says, let us go and build a tower to the heavens so that, so that if God ever floods the earth again, we'll be safe. And then they say, let us make a great name for ourselves. So chapter 11, those first 7, 8, 9 verses really show the difference between the sin nature of man and what God was really trying to do. Man's plan was let's make a name for ourselves. Let's design our own destiny, our own way, so that God has no power over us anymore. So because of this, we get into chapter 12, and we pick up with the story of Abraham. Now, it's really amazing because the first 11 chapters of Genesis cover about 2,000 years of history. And then we slow down in chapter 12, and spend a whole bunch of text covering one man's life and the family that comes after him. Now some people may look at the story and say, well, I don't understand. Why, why did God choose the Jews over everybody else? And does God just love, did he love them more than he loved everybody else? And he just hated the rest of the world? And the answer is absolutely not. God did not choose Abraham because he hated the world. 
He chose Abraham because the world hated him. Let me say that again. God did not choose Abraham because he hated the world. He chose Abraham because the world hated him. But despite all of this, God was working to fulfill the promise of redemption that he gave in chapter 3. Despite the world hating him, he chose Abraham as a means, a vessel, to fulfill a promise of redemption. This is why later, all throughout um, the Old Testament, especially in the first five books, God calls Israel to be a nation of priests. What do priests do? They declare the message of God. They were, they were meant to be uh, missionaries, if you will, to the world, to bring God's message to the world. They were not meant to be a secluded people of only God loved the Jews and hated everybody else. No, God loved the world, and so he was using people to bring about a plan of redemption. Let's pick up in chapter 12, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. And tonight, if I'm going to give this a title, it's just simply this, The Promise. The Promise. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and, and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. Now Paul's right here. Let's contrast what just happened to what happened in chapter 11. In chapter 11, man said, Let us make a great name for ourselves. In chapter 12, God says, I will make a great nation of thee, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. I always want to be on the side where God chooses to make my name great, and never on the side where I'm trying to make my own name great. Because I've been on that side, and it doesn't work. It doesn't ever work. But when God puts something in motion, it always comes to pass. Verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and... Uh, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, and the Lord had spoken unto him, or as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. As we will learn as we continue through the next several passages, God did not reveal the full extent of the promise to Abraham at the beginning. Notice he did not tell Abraham, hey, here's all the things that's going to happen. Here's the times you're going to fall short. Here's how exactly I'm going to bring this promise to pass. He did not give Abraham every detail. He simply started by giving him a promise. Saying, I will make your name great. I will bless the earth because of you. I will give you, uh, uh, I will give you a blessing. But he did not give him all of the details. This is very important to realize because as we walk through this Christian life, the road we are on will take many turns. We must recognize that we do not see the full picture of what God has in store for us. And therefore, we cannot dictate the direction we are to travel. We must let God direct our path because only He knows the final destination. God set out a vision for Abraham and said, This is where I'm going to bring you eventually. But Abraham did not see all of the steps that was from here to there. And therefore, if Abraham, as we will see, he tried many times tried to dictate how it should unfold, he was continually walking off course and God was having to direct him back onto the path. And if you think over your own life, there, all of us have been given different promises about different things within our lives. And there are times where we thought, well, this is how it should come to pass. And before we know it, we find ourselves frustrated because we aren't where we thought we should be. We aren't experiencing the things that we thought God said we would have at that moment. 
But when we allow God to direct our path, it works out. I'll tell you just from my own personal life, there was a moment, a, a span of time when, when I was struggling really bad with, with life, with PTSD, with, with uh, just a whole set of circumstances. And I had known from very early on, when I was 17, when I first was real young in church, my youth pastor and my pastor, very first time I ever met them, they did not know me. They both had the exact same vision of me standing before a crowd teaching. Didn't know me. They talked to each other afterwards and realized that they both had a, a, almost the exact same vision of it coming to pass. So I started my life off in church with a promise, with knowing that one day this is where God was calling me to. And yet here I was getting out of the army after all the things I experienced, and I felt frustrated. I felt off course. I felt I was not doing the things that God had wanted me to do. And it was ultimately because of the choices that I made. But in that moment, I didn't see it that way. In that moment, I was like, God, I don't understand. Like, I've done all of this, this, and this. Why, why is this happening to me? And eventually, God brought to my mind that, you know, you are trying to fix things your way. You're justifying your actions because of who you are instead of allowing me to direct your path because of who I am. And I made a promise to God in that moment that, God, I would never ask again for a position. I would never ask for a title. I would never ask for anything like that, I would just do whatever it is you want me to do and trust that God will open the door as you see fit. And I am constantly amazed at the thing that, things that God has been doing. Not just here, not just standing behind a pulpit, because this is a very, very, very small fraction of ministry. Very small fraction of ministry. But the people that God has put in my life, the opportunities I've had to share my testimony with them, the relationships I've been able to build, and tell about how God's goodness saved me from my own stupidity. That's what I'm constantly amazed at. Shortly, well, let's pick up in verse 6 here. And Abraham passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim. So God, or Abraham is, is listening to God's voice and he leaves. He goes on to a journey. He goes to the place of Sikkim unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, I will give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Very shortly into Abraham's journey, he was confronted with an enemy. People that already possessed the land that God was giving him promise to. But notice how Abraham responds to this. He builds an altar to God, a place of consecration, a place of worship to say, okay, God, I trust you. And Bethel means the house of God. So he trusted God. But as with anyone who is given a big promise, we will often see that it comes with a big test. In verse 9, as Abraham continues on, it says, He journeyed still southward, and there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt. So, uh, to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So first, he, he encounters the promise that God's going to give him this land, and there's some enemy, but, but he's okay. He's cool with it. He says, all right, God, I'll build you an altar, consecrate myself, no problem. But then as he continues journeying, there's a famine, and the famine was severe. And now we're talking about base needs here. How am I going to eat? How am I going to feed my family and those around me? So he decides to go down to Egypt. And the story, I'll just paraphrase here, of course, we, we're very familiar with. 
as he's getting close to Egypt, he says, okay, Sarah, here's the deal. Pharaoh may kill me because you're attractive and you're my wife and he may want you, so I'm just gonna, I want you to lie and say that you're my sister instead. Very shortly into the journey, after God had promised him something, after he built an altar, now he's faced with another problem and his immediate instinct is to go back to his human flesh Say, we'll lie about this. We'll lie, we'll say that you're my sister and it'll be all good. Remember I said that God is the only one who knows our final destination and that we can't try to dictate the path. Here Abraham is facing a second big challenge since the promise. And he has either already forgotten or he has decided that he can't trust on God alone and therefore he has to do his part as well. So he does this, he lies, he says this is his sister. His sister goes and is... Uh, uh, in fellowship, they're not having relations, but he is with, she's with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is given a dream. And in that dream, Pharaoh is told by God, hey dude, you better not touch that woman. Because that's Abraham's wife. And it will not work out very well for you if you do. So, Pharaoh comes back to Abraham and says, Abraham, why did you lie to me? What, what are you trying to do to me? He's like, this is your wife. And he, he gives him back to, to Abraham and says, go on your way. What we have to recognize is that when we operate outside of our promise, we don't only affect ourselves, but we also affect those who are along our path. You see, God, the promise that God was giving to Abraham was not just for Abraham. It was for his family and then ultimately for everyone else. So when Abraham took it upon himself to step outside of the path that God had given him, there's ripple effects that begin to affect those around him. And the same is true for us. There are people that are in our circle of influence. There are people that, that we have influence over. And when we choose to step out of the path that God has given us, it has ripple effects. Our poor choices then begin to affect others because we are the Jesus that they see. And so they look at us and say, well, I don't understand why you're making those choices. So we have to remember that the promise is not just for us, but is for others to be blessed as well. The promise isn't just for you, it's for others. The positioning that God is doing is not for us, but for, the, for us to be most effective for his kingdom. Then we pick up in chapter 13, it says, And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him into the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey for, from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. I love this. Abraham recognized he messed up. So what does he do? He goes back to the place of consecration. I know that there are some in this room who maybe you feel like you are not quite where you want to be, quite where God has called you to be. But here's the great news. You can go back to the place of consecration. You can go back to the place where you first felt that promise given to you by God. And it doesn't have to be a physical altar. But it's an altar that you make where you can go back in consecration to God and say, God, I recognize that this is the area that I've fallen short in. So I want to recommit my life to doing what you've called me to do. And I love that this is what Abraham sets up for us as an example. That though he messed up, and he made some mistakes, he went back to the altar. And you know, you have to give Abraham a little bit of leeway here. Because we have the word of God. 
We have all these examples throughout all of Scripture of the ways that people messed up and how God corrected them. Abraham didn't have that. Abraham had no written word of God. He had the knowledge of what came before him, but he didn't have this full written word of God before him to kind of give him these directions. So, you know, as hard as I want to be sometimes on the people of the Old Testament, Abraham, we have a whole lot more resources at our fingertips than he did. Verse 12. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land and the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Once Abraham got back on track, God gave him another piece of the promise. Gave him a little more clarification as to what was going on. And here's what's awesome about this. He tells Abraham to go and walk through the land. He didn't possess the land yet. He still didn't have the fulfillment of the promise. He still didn't know how everything was going to work out. But God said, I want you to already start walking in your promise as though you already possessed it. God gives us promises and there are times where we don't feel like we, we haven't seen it come to complete fruition yet. But God is calling us to walk in the promise already in faith as though it already occurred. You need to do the work before you can expect a position. You have to walk in whatever it is that God is calling you to before you can expect God to elevate you to a position of authority, of, of title, of influence, because you first need to establish the faith that you trust God that it will happen. It takes no faith. If, if I walk up to Pastor Powell and I give him $100 every day, and on the, uh, for six days in a row, and on the seventh day I say, I'm going to give you $100, well, that doesn't really take any faith because I've already been doing it for him. But if I tell him in seven days from now I'm going to give you $100 and it's not been done yet, he has to just walk in faith that on that seventh day it's going to come to pass. You see, that's how faith works. Faith takes trust that you believe God will do it and therefore you act as though it was already done. And that's hard. That's hard sometimes because we want it now. We want that instant gratification. And God is saying, no, you first have to trust me because if I give you a promise and I give you the fulfillment of that promise and you haven't learned to trust me, that promise will ruin you. I think sometimes we don't recognize that. If God gave you a million dollars and you had no knowledge of how to manage money and no self-restraint on how to conduct yourself, that million dollars would very likely ruin you. You want proof? Look at all the people who win the lottery. The suicide rate among people who win the lottery is extremely high. And the amount of ruin that it brings to their life. Why? Because they were not prepared mentally for what they came into. 
You have to recognize that sometimes God gives you a promise, but there has to be a process of growth before God can allow that promise to come to pass. Otherwise, the promise would ruin you. Chapter 14 tells the story of Lot and his family being taken prisoner by invading kings. But because Abraham was now operating in his promise, he was able to not only recover Lot and his good and his goods, but the heathen kings then praised the one true God. When you walk in your promise the way God has called you to, you can then in turn help others walk in their promise. If Abraham had not been in the position that God had called him to be, Lot may not have ever been saved. Then we get into chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Okay, this right here should have prevented what's going to come next. Okay, listen to what happened. Abram said, okay, God, you said you're going to bless me and make a great nation out of me. But right now, I have someone who's in charge of, of my affairs, and their child is essentially going to be my heir. Right? So what, what are you going to do about this? And behold, the word of the Lord came unto, came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Now, what does God say about a man and a woman when they become married? They become one flesh. One flesh. So it's not just Abraham's seed, literally, that is about to bring about this promise. But it is the one flesh of him and his wife, Sarah, that is to bring about the promise. Abraham should have already learned from what just happened before when he was said, well, this other one is my heir. And God said, no, that is not how the promise is going to happen. The promise is going to happen from your own bowels, your flesh, meaning him and Sarah. But again, as we will see, the stresses of life has, have, has a way of making us try to justify our choices. There are so many examples of what, what just happened in Scripture. Abraham knew that he had a promise, but as time kept ticking by, he became distraught. He didn't understand how the promise was to come to pass. So God tells him that the promise would come from his own bowels, meaning that it was to be a child born of him and Sarah. But as we will see, doubt can cause us to once again deviate from the plan that God has for us. Picking up in chapter 16, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. Pause right here. What is the problem here? Sarah said that God is the one stopping her from having children. But God is the one who told Abraham that it was by them that he was going to have children. So who did Abraham choose to listen to? Sarah. Now interestingly enough, we go back to the very beginning. And what happened? A deviation of what God had said. A deviation of what God had promised. And you change it a little bit. And now the man listens to the woman instead of God. 
And this is not a knock on women, men, but that's not what's happening here. What this, the, 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 the principle that I'm trying to establish here is that the only way you will ever walk in the promise of God is when you choose to only exclusively listen to what God says will happen and ignore what the world says will happen. The world will try to give you all the reasons and the rationales why your promise cannot happen the way you think it's going to happen. Why you have to deviate from God's course because it's irrational. It's not logical. You have to do it this way. When God very clearly lays out that no, that's the whole point. It's faith. I am the source. If it was just logic and you do it on your own, you don't need me in the first place. And Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress despised her in her eyes. Man, it was her idea, and then when it came to pass, she was mad about it. God was very specific. I'm not even going to comment on that. I'm just going to leave that one alone because I'm going to get myself into trouble. God was very specific to Abraham, but instead of being patient, and he decided to once again deviate from God's plan. It's important that we do not rush God's promise for our lives. He will make the crooked way straight, not you. He will order your steps, not you. He will open doors no man can shut, not you. Quit trying to force, and I, and I say you, I mean me also. Quit trying to force God's hand and allow his perfect plan to unfold in his perfect timing. We get to chapter 17, and when Abraham was 90 years old and 9. Now listen to this. When we first started, when Abraham initially received the promise, he was 75 years old. 75. Now in chapter 15, we, or sorry, chapter 17, we see that Abraham is 99 years old. Almost 25 years has passed from when God gave Abraham the promise to get to the point we're at now. And we get frustrated when it takes God six months to let things happen the way we think it should. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be uh, any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And God said unto Abram, As for, for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt call, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abram fell upon his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abram said, un said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Yet again, Abram's trying to kind of dictate things, trying to, trying to change things. God as if he wasn't clear enough the first time, he says, okay, so there's no confusion at all. I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to make you a father of nations, and your wife, Sarah, will be the mother of many nations. That's how the promise will come to pass. But Abram, in his doubt and disbelief, he, he laughs, and he says, well, you know, I have this other son 
named Ishmael. What about him? So listen what it says. He says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply, multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make them a great, him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Now I want to give you a dire warning here. In chapter 16, when Abraham deviated from God's plan and slept with Hagar, they had a son named Ishmael. Hagar could tell that she was hated by Sarah, which is crazy because it was Sarah's idea in the first place. So Hagar attempts to flee, but she is confronted by an angel who hears her cry. The angel tells her that her son will be blessed and will multiply, but that he will be a wild man and he will be against everyone and vice versa. In chapter 17, we saw that Abraham laughed at God and offered an alternative by saying, bless Ishmael. God said he would multiply Ishmael, but that was not the route of the promise. Why is this important? Ishmael is considered to be the father of Islam. The one who eventually his lineage would bring about Islam. Now Islam, if you don't know, is the religion that hates the Jews and the Christians. That wants to see them killed, wants to see them wiped off the face of the earth. So what happened? Abram's deviation from God's plan turned a promise into a nightmare. Abraham's choice to continually try to do it on his own, under his own rule, under his own way took what should have been solely a great promise and allowed it to turn into a nightmare because for the rest of time until Christ returns, Israel and Christians will be plagued by that choice. Your response to the promise has consequences. And in some cases, eternal consequences. Now, I want to show you kind of an inverse here. Because I want to show you what it looks like to respond correctly to the promise. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, says this, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was, a just, was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, uh, in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou, thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now before I explain something awesome about Simeon, I want to look at verse 32. If you remember last week, I, I talked a whole lot about light. About how light was what brought life into the world. And I talked about how that in John chapter 1, that God says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. That Jesus was that light. right? John 8 also says he is the light of the world. And that in him was life, and that life was the light unto men. Now, here, we see this confirmed yet again, 
in verse 32 that Jesus is the light to lighten the Gentiles. Light brings life. Jesus was what was going to bring life to the Gentiles. This was the plan. This was the plan that Abraham was given a promise of. Now Simeon understood that it was being fulfilled. Simeon was an older man. And undoubtedly he went to the temple day after day after day after day for years and years waiting for the promise that he had been given to see the consolation, meaning to see Christ, the fulfillment of the promise. And then finally, he, he patiently waits for God's promise. And then he sees it. The Spirit leads him and he sees the baby that is Jesus and he recognizes this is the fulfillment of the promise. And after seeing the fulfillment of the promise, he says, okay, I have seen it. Now I'm ready to go. I'm ready to depart. He was faithful and patient for the promise and then he saw the promise fulfilled and he was at peace because he knew that he did what it was that God had called him to do. Now, some might read this and say, wow, Simeon didn't really have a very big promise. He just waited until he was an old man, saw Jesus, proclaimed him as the Messiah to Joseph and Mary, and then said, okay, now I can die. But this is the purpose of every promise given by God. That is to declare Christ to the world. There is no bigger promise than to declare Christ as the salvation to the world. Simeon's promise may not have had all the highlights of position and title and, and money, but there is no greater purpose and no greater promise than you can have in your life than to declare Christ to a lost and dying world. If we recognize that that is the purpose of every promise given to you, it will help us to stay on track for what God is doing in our lives. You see, the promise that was given to Abraham was not about him becoming rich. It was not about him having lots of people, lots of kids. That was not what the promise was about. The promise ultimately was to fulfill what was mentioned in Genesis 3, which was to bring a seed into the world that would crush sin. Everything else is ancillary. Your promise at the end ultimately is to declare Christ to this world. Now the last person I want to look at here as a proper response, if you will, to the promise is Mary, the mother of Jesus. You see, in much of Pentecost, there's great care taken to not deify Mary because there are others who, who, who elevate Mary to a position of godhood or to a position above what she was, which was a person, a human being born in sin, shaped in iniquity. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't look at her, though, and see what God did through her. We, sorry, I lost place here. Okay, don't get me wrong. We, um, it is important that we remember that Mary was a human, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. But we can't be so careful that we ignore the contributions that she made or ignore the life that she led. Imagine you were Mary, and you have been told that you were going to give birth to God in the flesh. You were a virgin and very young. Can you imagine just for a moment how you might respond? Abraham who had a physical wife, who God said, you're going to have a child through this wife, was so in disbelief that he laughed. He laughed at God, essentially saying, I'm old, she's old. There's no way it's going to happen. Mary, who's young and a virgin, is being told, you're not only going to have a child, but it's going to be God in the flesh. 
I, I can't even really think what I would actually, how I would actually respond. You know, I would love to say, well, it would be really weird if God told me that. But <laughs> if, if, God, if God told my wife that, you know, before, before, before I knew her and she was a virgin and, and told her that, you know, I would love to say, yeah, God's going to do it. But the truth is, is I'm human just like anybody else. And I'm like, I don't know. That's a little weird, right? But this is what happens. Listen to how Mary responds in Luke chapter 1. Starting in verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation should th this should be. I love Mary's initial response here because she's like, why is this angel saying I'm highly favored of God? Like, I'm just this little nobody. Why is this angel appearing to me and saying that I'm highly favored? What this shows me is Mary had humility. Mary didn't say, why, well, yes, I am highly favored of God. I am something great. Right? She had humility in her response, and she's like, you can't be talking to me. I mean, I, I mean who am I? Verse 30, And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and, his, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Lord God, or sorry, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the month, the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The first thing Mary did right was respond in humility. You see, it's okay to be troubled or even to, to ask God, I don't know how this is going to happen. Abraham did that and Mary did that. That initial response of God, I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how this is going to happen. There was nothing wrong with that response. It's what happened after that. That began to dictate the consequences. Abram chose to, to, to his own way to try to make God's promise happen through his own means. And Mary, after asking the question, said, okay, let it be. If that's what you want, want to happen, then let it be. It's okay to ask God, I don't understand, or how is this going to happen? But when God says, trust in me, I will make it happen, our response then has to be, okay. I'll have faith and take it step by step. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46 says, And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So now Jesus has grown up some. He's a child now. Listen to what happens in verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, So imagine your, your child, your young child, has disappeared from your sight. And this large gathering of people, 
and you are frantically looking around, you know, understandably upset, where did my child go? And you come up and you find your child sitting in the temple. And it says here, it says, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Okay, let's put that modern day here. Dude, what, what are you doing, child? Like, why did you run away from us? And, and why didn't you tell us where you were going? And we were worried. We were really worried that someone, like, kidnapped you. Right? Verse 49, listen to what Jesus says. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or don't you know, that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But listen to what Mary says next, or what it says about Mary. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Even though she didn't understand what Jesus was doing exactly, she recalled the promise that was given to her by the angel that this was going to be the child of God. And even though she didn't understand, she took all of these sayings, all of these things that was happening, and she hid it, she treasured it in her heart. She valued it. As you walk in, the, in your promise, there will be times that you don't understand why something is happening or how exactly it's going to come out. But we have to learn to treasure God's word in the midst of our troubles so that when we get through it on the other side, we can look back at those times and understand what was taking place. I can look back now on certain times in my life and remember what God did, even though during that moment I didn't understand. I trusted God. And now I can say, wow, this is how God was working it out. This is how God was coming through for me when I didn't even know. This is how God was protecting me, even when I didn't realize it. We have to treasure God's word even in the troublesome times so that we can see the promise fulfilled. Throughout the life of Jesus, Mary would come to be, continue to be faithful to the promise. But make no mistake, there were plenty of times she didn't understand the big picture. I cannot even begin to imagine what it must have been like to see her child beaten and hanging on a cross. Imagine that. Imagine your child innocent, blameless, having done nothing wrong, being beaten, hung on a cross, spit on, hated by the world, and you can do nothing but watch, totally helpless. Mary would then go on to accompany Jesus' body to the tomb, and now it seemed that the promise that she was given all those years ago was dead. But listen to what Acts chapter 1 says. Starting in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, and this is Jesus speaking here, uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, think about it from the, the disciples' perspectives and those who are observing this. Jesus had told them about how that he was going to restore the kingdom. He told them about how that he was going to be, be, be beaten and how that he was going to be resurrected on the third day. 
So each moment, they've had these moments of doubt. And even after we, we've, we heard on this past Sunday, we heard that, that after Jesus was, was dead, and some returned back to fishing, because they, they began to doubt. So they had their moments. They, they're like, man, maybe this thing isn't going to happen. So now Jesus is resurrected. He comes unto them. He has that moment of fellowship where, where the fish are there and he provides all of this stuff. Only for then Jesus to disappear again. For, him to, for them to watch him disappear into heaven. And I can imagine that some of them are like, well, there goes the promise yet again. This promise that this whole time we've been following Jesus and he, he's saying he's going to restore the kingdom and he's saying all this stuff's going to happen. And yet here, yet again, we see the promise leaving. But Jesus was trying to tell them that no, as you see me leave, you'll see me return. But the whole point in all of this, what I'm doing here, is to give you power to walk in the promise. To wait for my return, I need to give you power so that you can walk in the promise. Jesus was telling them, quit looking up at me, watching me go. Quit standing here thinking this is it. Instead, this is only the beginning. I have empowered you, I have equipped you to now go and really do what I've called you to do. Again, what was the promise that they were to walk in? To bring the message of salvation to the world. The, when the Bible says, great, when Jesus said to them, greater things shall you do, he wasn't talking about miracles. Yes, they did miracles. Yes, that is part of it. God expects those things to still happen. But that was not part of what he was saying by the greater things. The greater things was the fact that Jesus brought in the message of salvation. Right? By allowing the Holy Ghost. But now that they had the Holy Ghost, they could preach that message of salvation to the whole world. That was the whole intent. To restore relationship between God and man. That spirit that had been removed in the beginning because of sin, now mankind was equipped to deliver that spirit back to mankind yet again. And that was the greater purpose. To restore a relationship between God and man. Now, hold on here. We're talking about Mary, right? Verse 12. Then, ret then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And, they went, and when they were come, they went into an upper room where abode Pe both Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued one accord prayer and supplication with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Mary did not give up on the promise. Despite seeing that promise on a cross, despite seeing that, that, that promise laid in a tomb, despite seeing that promise disappear into the heavens, she didn't give up. She remained faithful to the promise and got to see the fulfillment of what Christ was doing in the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And then the word spread like fire across the world. As we wrap up, I, we can all stand. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you because 2020 was a year where it seemed for many that promises died. We've seen people walk away from the church building and not come back. And I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about globally, nationally. We've seen people who, who, who walked away and not come back. We've seen people who've been overcome with fear, depression, anxiety. We've seen people who've been sick and hurting. 
For a lot of people, 2020 was a year where, where they felt that their promises of revival, their promises of all the things that God said he was going to do, seemed to die. But just like Mary, I'm encouraging you, don't give up on the promise. Because God didn't lose out and say, oh man, coronavirus, I guess I can't make the promise happen for, for this church. Just like Abraham didn't understand how it was all going to happen. And yet here we sit, knowing how Jesus brought every single thing to pass, piece by piece. Bad choice after bad choice, God used it to turn it into good, to bring salvation. While Mary didn't understand how all of this was to take place and, and watch her son die, yet she held faithful and got to see the promise take place. So tonight as we close, I just want us to pray where we are, that we, like Abraham, maybe need to return to an altar of consecration that says, God, I'm trusting that you are still going to make these promises come to pass. You didn't forget. Maybe I did. Maybe I've made choices I shouldn't. Maybe I've been disheartened. But I know that you didn't forget the promises. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your promises that they are yea and amen, O oh God. That if you make a promise, it must come to pass because you are not a man that you should lie. Lord, I am grateful that you see the end from the beginning and that while we know that you have a promise and we don't always see everything clearly, we trust in you. We take step by step, knowing that you are walking before us, making that crooked way straight, that you are going before us and opening the door, that we don't have to rely on our own self, but that all we have to do is remain faithful to the promise and know that it will come to pass. I pray that this year would be a time of revival. Not just a revival in numbers, but a revival in our commitment to the promise. A revival in our affirmation and what, what you will do will come to pass. And our ability to walk in faith in all things. I love you, Jesus, and I'm so grateful that Ellie is getting baptized tonight. That she is establishing an altar. She's establishing an altar, oh God. And I pray right now. For her parents, oh God. For her grandparents. Because just like every other person who's walked this earth, she will experience moments where she doesn't understand what God is doing. But let her family, let her church family set the example for her that despite the dark times, we walk in faith that the promise will be fulfilled. That you are a God who is faithful at all times. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. And we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the children are about to come up and, and they're going to do the baptismal. While we're waiting, I'm going to play a song. You can talk among yourselves if you want to listen. Just want you to listen to the words because in a year that, that's getting busier and busier as things are picking back up, the only way that you can fulfill the promises is by having right priorities. You can't expect to walk after God if God isn't a priority for you. So as this is just playing in the background, just listen to the words, reflect on it, and we'll wait for the children.